Hello, and thank you for joining us for Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Season 2, Episode 7, The Warrior Tribe. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to go back and start at Season 1, Episode 1, The Egg, to get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and today we are thrilled to welcome special guest artist Lydian Blossom, who is also a talented actor in Los Angeles, California. You should definitely make sure to check the show notes for links to Lydian's final illustration, her coloring page, and other links to her artwork. One thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines a story a little bit differently. I know how it looks in my head, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite supplies and draw, sculpt, paint, or create anything that you are inspired to while listening. Then you can share your creation with us during one of our live shows, post on our Facebook page, or email it to us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. And now let us begin Season 2, Episode 7, The Warrior Tribe. Previously on Fad Pack, Beatrice, a dragon, her five draglings, and Tom and Talora, two humans from the city of Durga, set off on a quest to find Beatrice's stolen egg. After a long and perilous journey, the dragons learn that the egg might be held on an island fortress by the guild of the Bone-Eyed Spider, a society of creatures that believe the egg may factor in either the salvation or the destruction of the world. Led by the fairy Carnelian, Beatrice, Tom, and three of her children attempt to approach the island fortress and are attacked by a horde of Waladons, sea dragons, who are guarding the island. During the battle, Tom is knocked into the water and is adrift at sea before being rescued by a mermaid. He then returns to the dragons to bring them back to the mermaids in hope of achieving their help. Tom, do you think the mermaids will like us? I mean, I know you said they were friendly and everything, but like, what if they all of a sudden try to do battle with us? Because, you know, one thing I've learned is that you should always be prepared for battle. And like, what if these mermaids are really working with the Whaladons? And this is all a trick to catch us off guard. Lyle flew nervously next to Beatrice, who had Tom on her back. Oh no, Lyle, they're not going to battle us. They're really nice and peaceful. Don't worry, you'll love them. I'm with Lyle, muttered Carnelian from their perch atop Tom's head. This whole plan seems fishy to me. Really? No one? Fish pun? Nothing? Ugh. Edwin and Smudge were flying loop-de-loops up ahead. Well, I know they will like me. I am excellent at establishing diplomatic relations. Plus, I'm just naturally a very friendly dragon, right, Mom? That's right, Edwin. After Tom had returned from his visit with the mermaids and told the dragons that the mermaids were eager to meet them, there had been no containing Edwin. Beatrice had insisted that everyone get a good night's sleep and eat a big breakfast so that they could recover from their battle with the Whaladons. But by sunrise, Edwin was prancing in circles and firing question after question at Tom, who hadn't been entirely awake. Now they were flying along the shore to the cliff down the beach so that Tom could introduce the dragons to his new friends. "'What do you know of the mermaids, Carnelian?' asked Beatrice. "'Might they be willing to help us with the Whaladons?' "'Well, that depends,' said Carnelian, adjusting their grip on the tuft of Tom's hair they were holding. "'It depends on whether Tom-Tom here charmed these mermaids the way he charmed us fairies when he came calling to the Crystal Caves. "'Did you sing the mermaids a song about poop, Tommy?' Tom blushed. "'Uh, no, (laughs) no singing this time. That's just something I do for fairies.' Carnelian laughed uproariously and slapped Tom's ear. Oh, Tom-Tom, stop it! I didn't know you made jokes. What a bunny! 
Tom grinned and then pointed ahead. There, see where the cliff falls away there, creating that hole in the ground? That's where they are. We can just fly straight down. Beatrice nodded and called to her children. We'll fly in slowly and land as soon as possible. We don't want to scare them. The dragons were almost upon the cliff now. Did everyone hear me? Beatrice asked. Yes, Mom, chorused Lyle and Edwin excitedly. Smudge, did you hear me? Smudge was flying a little ahead of the rest of them and didn't turn to look at Beatrice. She sighed. Was he flying faster? Smudge, slow down, please. Smudge! Smudge, no, stop! You need to stop right now! Smudge, too excited to pay any attention to his mother's warnings, was just reaching the top of the opening that led down to the mermaid's cove below. He was not moving slowly at all. "'Don't worry, Mom, I'll get him,' yelled Edwin, picking up speed to catch up to Smudge. "'No, Edwin, stop, that won't help!' "'Wait, wait, wait, not without me, Edwin, wait!' Lyle tore off after his siblings. "'Lyle, no, you stay with me! Edwin, Lyle, Smudge, stop this instant! I'll get him, Mom! Smudgy, stop!' yelled Edwin. "'Edwin, wait, wait, don't go in there without me! I said wait!' Beatrice and Tom watched helplessly as the three draglings plummeted down into the opening in the cliff and out of sight." They could hear muffled shouting, smudge growling, then three distinct splashes followed by the loud, chattering speech of mermaids. Oh, for the love of dragon fire, Beatrice muttered under her breath. She shot forward until she too was hovering over the opening, and she, Tom, and Carnelian looked down at the scene of chaos below. The three draglings were tangled together and thrashing wildly around in the water, yelling insults at each other. There was not a mermaid in sight. Diplomatic indeed, remarked Carnelian. Beatrice sighed and coasted carefully down into the cove below, landing carefully on a rock shelf along the edge of the water. "'Ow! Ow, you big tuba snout!' yelled Edwin at Lyle. "'Who are you calling tuba snout?' retorted Lyle. "'Obviously you! I just said it! Ow! Uh, Smudge, stop biting me! He's not biting you! He's trying not to drown! It's not like any of us can swim here! Hey, Smudge, you, you can't just climb on me! Ow!' The draglings, none of whom could swim well, were thrashing about, trying to reach the edge of the water where Beatrice had landed. Eventually, they untangled themselves from each other and made it out of the water, shaking themselves enthusiastically all over Beatrice and Tom. "'Tom, I thought you said there would be mermaids here,' said Lyle, looking around the quiet cove. "'Lyle, you fish noodle, there were, but you just didn't see them because you were busy crashing into me like a big old tomato-squishing ding-dong. You scared them all away.' Me? I scared them? No way. Smudge scared them all with his battle yowling. I was just trying to catch you guys, and your big old bat wing got right in my face, and couldn't fly anymore, and almost plummeted to my actual death. That is not what happened. That is exactly what happened. It just happened. I was there. Smudge started howling indignantly, and all three draglings almost toppled into the water again. Enough! yelled Beatrice. Stop it! All three of you! I asked you to stop flying, and none of you listened. You all scared these poor mermaids to death, and who knows if we'll be able to regain their trust. Edwin, Lyle, you need to start taking more responsibility for your own bodies and actions. Smudge, if you can't listen, then you will have to fly on my back with Tom and Carnelian. Is that understood? All three draglings nodded sheepishly. Beatrice took a deep breath, trying to calm herself. "'Good. Now, let's see if we can start over. "'I can sense them below,' she said, scanning the water. "'I will try to address them. "'Excuse me. Mermaids, I am sorry for this disturbance. "'We are here at the invitation of the mermaids Melvina and Kalima, "'and we would very much like the pleasure of meeting you.' "'Tom slid from Beatrice's back, marveling anew at the magic of the dragon's ability to communicate.' 
He knew that Beatrice's words would sound inside the mermaid's head the same way they were sounding inside his. Only the mermaids would hear their language, and Tom heard his. This ability also allowed them to understand the languages of others. Dragons could communicate with any living creature that had a language of its own. Despite Beatrice's best efforts, however, the surface of the water remained still. Um, hello? Melvina? Kalima? It's me, Tom! Melvina? Tom attempted to call Melvina by speaking her name in Mermaid. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, very nice, Tom. Thank you, Edwin. Suddenly, Melvina's head popped out of the water, and she looked up at Tom, beaming. Beatrice chuckled. Melvina, wonderful to meet you. Well, yes, we like him, too. Uh, yes, I suppose he is a very good little human pet who does just what he's told. Beatrice cast a questioning look at Tom. Right, about that, Tom started. But Melvina interrupted him and began speaking excitedly. What's she saying? Tom whispered to Edwin. Oh, Tom, I forgot you can't speak mermaid. I'm sorry. What a beautiful language. Okay, so Malvina is telling us that we are all her pets now. She has one, two, three, four dragon pets and a Tom pet. And she isn't sure that she wants a fairy pet, but if the fairy pet needs rescuing from death, she will also take the fairy pet. And then we will all live with her otters and seal pets in her under the sea bed of love. Wow, she's great. Hang on, hang on, interrupted Lyle. I can't be your pet, can I? I mean, I'm Amethyst's pet. Carnelian, Amethyst wouldn't like that, right? No, Amethyst would eat that mermaid if she tried to take you away from them. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, we don't want that. Oh, I don't know. Amethyst can be a lot of fun when they're angry. More and more mermaids began to surface, looking in awe at the dragons who looked in awe back at them. They're beautiful, whispered Edwin. Hello, I'm Edwin. I am a mountain dragon. Pleased to meet you all. Within moments, the draglings were surrounded by an admiring semicircle of mermaids, all of whom were speaking excitedly, with Lyle and Edwin doing their best to respond to the questions. Tom lifted Furball out of his pack, and Malvina nearly swooned as she cradled him in her arms. Smudge flopped down on his belly to get closer to the mermaids, putting his snout in the water. Smudgy, Beatrice said warningly, don't you dare put any of those mermaids in your mouth. A sleek, purple-tinted mermaid with black hair had surfaced near Tom and slipped out of the water to sit next to him on the rock. Hello, Tom. Thank you for the returning that you did here today with the friend dragons. Oh, hi, Kalima. I'm happy to be back. These are my friends, Beatrice, Edwin, Lyle, and Smudge. And this is Carnelian, Diamond Wing of the Crystal Fairies. Oh, my, Tom. A fairy is so many fun times for us. Kalima beamed at the dragons. Very many welcomes to you, dragon and fairy friends of Tom's and new pets of Malvina. 
Kalima, we were wondering if you might be able to help us, started Tom. If you remember, yesterday I said that we'd been attacked by the Whaladons, who stopped us from getting to the island, to Olean. Well, we were wondering if maybe you had any idea how we could get past them. Why do you want to be to the island Olean, Tom? asked Kalima. Beatrice spoke up. We have reason to believe that the creatures on that island have stolen my baby, or my egg. We must get there and find out. It was clear that the mermaids understood Beatrice's words. Many of them looked at her sympathetically. Melvina burst into tears and began speaking rapidly. "'Thank you, Melvina,' said Beatrice. "'I am sure my baby would be very honored if you rescued her and made her your pet. But first we need to find her.' Kalima nodded. "'This is a reason of very noble and much importantness. I will call Salika. Please, a moment from you.' Kalima turned and called out across the crowd of mermaids. Edwin whispered to Tom. He said, Oh, Salika, warrior of warriors, strength of our mermaids, please honor us with your most powerful presence. Wow, said Tom. He said all of that just now. Edwin nodded seriously. Yes, mermaid is a complex language, Tom. Right. A moment later, a third mermaid had joined Melvina and Kalima, surfacing from beneath the water and hovering effortlessly in front of the dragons. "'This is Salika,' said Kalima. "'She is fighting for us all the time. Salika is loving to fight the way Melvina is loving to give more life to the otter pups. Salika will now know how to make Whaladons go away from you.' Beatrice nodded at Salika. Greetings, Salika. I am Beatrice. We would be most appreciative of any help you could offer us. The Whaladons proved too much for us yesterday. Speak for yourself, Carnelian commented. Tom looked at Salika. She was much larger and broader than Melvina and Kalima, and her hair was arranged into many long, thin braids woven with what looked suspiciously like shark teeth. Her eyes were the same blue as the other mermaids, but whereas Melvina's eyes looked warm and lively, Salika's looked cold and lethal. Tom smiled nervously at her, but she returned his gaze stonily. Salika listened as Beatrice explained their mission and what had befallen them yesterday when they had attempted to fight the Whaladons. She nodded briskly every now and then. When Beatrice was finished, Salika considered for a moment and then spoke. Edwin translated for Tom. She says this explains the Whaladons' strange behavior lately. They've been staying in one place like they're guarding something, which is weird, I guess, because they don't like to do stuff for other creatures. She says it's not good, though, because they're overhunting the waters. Oh, good. She says she wants to help. But the Whaladons are very dangerous. Well, we know that, right? Oh, that's interesting. She says there's only one who can defeat them. The Warrior Tribe. Hmm. I wonder what that is. Sounds great. The Warrior Tribe, Tom puzzled out loud. Huh, maybe like warrior mermaids? Beatrice had been nodding along, listening attentively to Salika. Thank you, she said. How can we speak with this warrior tribe? We really don't have much time, so the sooner we can ask for their assistance, the better. Salika conversed softly with Melvina and Kalima for a moment, then turned back to the draglings. She looked them all over and then spoke. Oh, that's interesting. The warrior tribe lives deep underwater, and... Oh, well... They can only take one of us, but they can't take Mom because she's too big for their breathing bubble thing. I don't really understand that, but okay. And the warriors would be suspicious of a fairy, so... Oh my gosh, they say it will have to be one of the smaller dragons, me or Lyle. Oh no, that's terrible news. Lyle will be so sad he has to stay behind. What? Lyle exclaimed. Why do I have to stay behind? Why can't I go? 
Lyle, I have a lot of experience with this kind of diplomatic mission. Remember how we totally went over the ponies and got them to help us before? Edwin, I was there too. That's not fair. Wait, said Tom, shouldn't I go? I mean, I have experience, uh, you know, traveling by mermaid. And I'll be easier to move with because I'm smaller and more like, you know, streamlined. While Kalima translated Tom's words for Salika, Beatrice shook her head. I fear it must be a dragon who goes, Tom. We'll be able to understand their language without needing an interpreter, and it is our quest, after all. We should take responsibility. So I can go, right, Mom? Edwin asked. No, Mom, please, I want to go. I know I can do it. Lyle was looking imploringly at his mother. I mean, come on, Mom, the warrior tribe? I just feel like I was meant to do this. Please, let me go talk to the warrior tribe. Let me help. Beatrice studied her children, then looked at the mermaids. Is this tribe, um friendly. That is, there won't be any danger to my children if they go alone. Salika sized up Edwin and Lyle, then spoke. Kalima translated for Tom. Salika says, friendly? No. The warrior tribe is fiercely behaving, but not bad news times. If they are treated with the kind and the, what's word, respectful, then they will not attack and make dead the young dragon. Are they likely to help us? asked Beatrice. Again, Kalima translated for Tom's benefit. No, not likely. Warriors are not trusting of creatures, only fighting for warrior tribe, but might be only choice for beatings of Weladons. I see, said Beatrice, looking hard at Edwin and then at Lyle, who were both staring at her anxiously. Finally, after a long pause, she seemed to come to a decision. Lyle, you may go. Yes! Lyle leapt into the air, scattering a few nearby mermaids. What? Mom, why? Lyle is still very new in the ways of diplomacy. Edwin, I have every confidence that you would make an excellent ambassador for our cause, but I trust Lyle is well, and I think he will do a very good job representing us to the warrior tribe. Oh, I will, Mom. I really will. You'll see. Lyle was flapping excitedly above. When do we leave? After a quick preparatory session where Tom explained to Lyle how the magic air bubble worked and Beatrice and Edwin made him practice his speech for the warrior tribe several times, Lyle found himself, for the first time in his life, swimming underwater. He was being forcefully propelled by Salika's powerful body. She swam behind Lyle with her hands firmly gripped on his back legs. Lyle kept his body stiff and his wings tightly folded against his body, while Salika steered him through the coral and ever deeper toward the ocean floor. Once Lyle had adjusted to the oddness of the rubbery air bubble in his mouth and being able to breathe underwater, he was able to enjoy himself. It was beautiful underwater, and it kind of felt like flying. There were all kinds of fish swimming past, and once he saw a turtle, although it swam away pretty quickly at the sight of a dragon being pushed through the water by a mermaid, he wondered if he could catch and eat a fish underwater, or if that would mess up his air bubble system. Not that he was hungry. Anyway, he was too excited. Salika swam on for what seemed like hours, but Lyle knew it probably wasn't actually that long. He was just anxious to meet the warrior tribe. He was picturing huge, fierce mermaids with long, sharp weapons and maybe scars all over their bodies. They would probably be excited to see a dragon, and maybe even offer him a place in their tribe, because now that he'd had so much battle experience, he would surely be worthy. Finally, after pulling Lyle down deeper and deeper where the sunlight faded to a misty glow, Salika paused and looked around her. Lyle could see the ocean floor and, looking up, realized that they must be very, very deep underwater. Salika spoke, her voice different below water than above it, but of course, Lyle could still see her words perfectly in his head. 
We are now near the warrior tribe. I will take you into their kingdom. It is vast and beautiful. I will take you to their leader, the fearsome Lord Saigon Phoenix Archeranium. Please be sure to show him proper respect. He is much revered in these waters. Oh, I will, definitely. Lyle nodded vigorously, glad that the dragon's method of speech allowed his voice to be heard in Kalima's head. Another good reason not to have sent Tom, he thought. Humans couldn't talk underwater. Here we go, then. Salika pulled Lyle deeper until the seafloor was almost touching his belly as he swam. It was truly dark now, and Lyle couldn't see very far ahead, although nothing seemed to be changing much, just the vast emptiness of the ocean floor. Up ahead, there started to appear tiny pinpricks of light. This must be it. Lyle could feel his heart beating faster. As they approached, the light intensified and surrounded them, giving the whole area an eerie, multicolored glow. Salika let go of Lyle's feet and swam up beside him. We're here, she said, the kingdom of the warrior tribe. Now Lyle was truly confused. Beside the strange lights and some rocks all around, there was nothing to see. No creatures or dwellings or anything that at all resembled a kingdom. And then he noticed some movement. One of the glowing things was moving. He looked at another of the strange lights and it was moving also. All of the lights were moving, or sort of wriggling, maybe? They were moving so slowly on the ocean floor and on the surrounding rocks that you could hardly see that they were moving at all, but whatever they were, they were definitely alive. Lyle stared amazed and confused. Emerging from all around him were things that were definitely not mermaids. What in all the constellations above were they? Some of these creatures were about the size of furball, others much bigger, but all were long and cylindrical like huge, thick worms. Their skin was covered in spiky protrusions of varied sizes and shapes, and they were all different colors and patterns, some even glowing with the strange light. They crawled and squished across the ocean floor, although Lyle could see no feet, fins, or flippers. A small group of them detached from the rest and approached Selika and Lyle. Lyle looked in alarm at Selika. Uh, are these the, uh, warriors? He took Salika's fierce glare to mean yes, and tried to look as respectful as possible as the group stopped in front of them. He couldn't see any facial features, so he wasn't sure where to point his respectful expression, but he did his best. One of the creatures spoke. Greetings, Salika. To what do we owe this pleasant surprise? And we see you have brought a dragon below. Most unusual. Greetings, Glacknerson. We are here to ask for your help. This is Lyle, a dragon of the mountains in the above world. Might we speak with the mighty Saigon Phoenix Arteranium? The creature Glacknerson paused and then made a gesture that seemed to Lyle like it could be a nod, although he still wasn't sure where the heads on these creatures were located. Yes, you may speak to the great Lord Saigon. Follow me. He trundled off slowly, Lyle and Selika following awkwardly behind. Glacknerson led them to a large porous stone outcropping rising from the ocean floor. The strange creatures were perched all over the stone, and their movement made the stone seem somewhat alive itself. Lyle found himself mesmerized by them. He had never seen anything like them in his entire life. They seemed both squishy and spiky, and he wanted so badly to reach out and pick one up, but he was pretty sure that would be rude. How could these odd creatures be the only thing that could defeat the Waladons? He was completely confused and thrilled at the same time. Then, at the top of the rock, many of the creatures started moving at once, creating an empty spot. Into this spot inched a creature who was even larger and more spiky-looking than those that surrounded it. This must be Saigon, their leader, thought Lyle. 
O great Lord Saigon Phoenix Arteranium, ruler of the mighty warrior tribe, said Glacknerson. May I present Lyle Dragon from the mountains above and the warrior Salika of the mermaid city of Merstorm. They are here to ask for your help. There was a pause, and Lyle felt sure that he was being closely examined by Lord Saigon. He tried to look noble and fierce. Greetings, Salika, Saigon began. It is always good to see you in our lands. And greetings to you, Lyle Dragon of above. Tell me, what can the warrior tribe of sea cucumbers do for you today? Lyle was speechless for a moment. Sea cucumbers? He vaguely knew that a cucumber was a vegetable that humans grew, but he had never heard of them in the sea and did not know that there was an animal version. He took in Saigon's smooth skin and cylindrical shape and thought that perhaps they did look kind of cucumberish. Oh well, thought Lyle. If the mermaids say these guys are fierce, then I believe them. After all, look at Smudge. Fierce things can come in small packages. He looked nervously around him at the assembled troops of sea cucumbers and then delivered his speech. Hello, I am, um, I mean, uh, greetings to all of you warriors, sea cucumber warriors. You are all certainly very fearsome and spiky. Lyle was veering off his script and Beatrice had warned him not to improvise. Ah, uh, so yeah, I'm Lyle, but you knew that. So I'm on a quest with my mom. Her name's Beatrice. She's the best mom. She really is because she's fierce and loving at the same time, which is hard to do, but believe me, she does it. And see, she lost her egg or I mean... It was stolen from her, and she really wants it back because she's such a good mom. And me and my brothers and sisters, we want it back too because that's our sister in that egg. Or maybe she even hatched already. No one knows. Isn't that wild? Anyway, we think she might be on that island, the one called Olean, and we want to get there to find her. But the Whaledons, man, <laughs> they are awesome but crazy. They like totally attacked us, and it was only my second battle. But even though I fought really fiercely, it wasn't easy, you know? Anyway, we couldn't get past them, and we had to go back to shore. But luckily, our friend Tom, who we thought was dead, was actually meeting these mermaids. And they are really cool, which you know, obviously. And they told us that if you all would be the people, um, creatures, uh, cucumbers, warriors for the job. The job of uh, helping us get past the whaledons and get to the island. So, um, would you be able to help us with the, with the whaledons, I mean? Please? There was a silence. Lyle could feel Saigon sizing him up, which was impressive, since he did not have eyes that Lyle could see. After a moment, he spoke. Hmm. Interesting, Lyle Dragon. Interesting. We, too, have had issues with the Weladons of late. There are more of them in these parts than usual. They are crowding these waters. They are bothering me. But the answer is no. This is not our fight. We fight for no one but our own kind, the warrior tribe of the Sea Cucumbers. I thank you for your visit. And as Lord Saigon finished speaking, he slowly began to turn around, leaving his perch on the rock. For a moment, Lyle was speechless. That was it? Just no? That couldn't be right. Everyone was counting on him. He definitely hadn't stuck to the prepared speech word for word, but he thought it had gone pretty well anyway, and now their only hope of getting their sister back had turned him down flat. What could he do? He had to think fast. Well, not that fast. Lord Saigon was still trying to turn around, but still, pretty fast. Why had his mother picked him for this mission? What did she think he could do? And then, before he could think about it any further, his mouth started moving. But Lord Saigon, I am one of you. 
There was a strange sound all around, like the simultaneous squishing of many sponges at once. Lyle guessed it might be sea cucumber laughter, but Lord Saigon stopped turning and faced Lyle again. What did you say? asked Lord Saigon. I am a warrior, like you, said Lyle. You are a dragon. You are nothing like us. I am squishy on my inside and spiky on my outside, like you. Or maybe I'm spiky on my inside and squishy on my outside. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but I, I admire you. Lord Saigon was silent. Lyle continued. I know I just met you, but I feel... I feel a closeness to you. Some creatures might look at you and underestimate your strength. Might think because you're a certain size or look a certain way that you can't do amazing things. I know how this feels. Everyone thinks that because I fall out of things and off of things and onto things and and talk a lot that I'm just silly old Lyle. It doesn't make sense, though. You don't know what someone can do until you give them a chance. Lord Saigon remained still. All of the cucumbers were still. Lyle tried again. And you know, I really totally respect that you want to fight for your own kind, for your own family, because that's what I'm doing too. Dragons are like that. We stick together, and we make sure that we don't leave anyone behind. That's why we have to get my sister, and why we need your help. Finally, Saigon spoke. Your words are interesting to me, Lyle Dragon. No creature has ever expressed such thoughts to us before. It is gratifying. As I said, we do not fight for others, but if we were to make you a honorary member of our tribe, perhaps we could overlook this technicality. What say you, Lyle? Would you like to be a sea cucumber dragon? Lyle gaped. Oh, uh, yeah, yes, definitely. Wow, yes. Saigon called out, Warriors, what say you? Will we accept Lyle Dragon from above as an honorary member of our tribe, and will we fight the Waladons on his behalf and to preserve the integrity of these waters? The strange squishing sound from before started again, only this time louder and more intense. The sounds diminished and then stopped. Well, young Lyle, you have moved us indeed. We must initiate you as one of us. Then we shall feast. And then we fight. For the third time in a week, Beatrice found herself flying into battle. Lyle, or Slog, as he was insisting on being called, it was apparently his new sea cucumber name, had returned with news of the strangest army Beatrice had ever heard of in her life. Together, the mermaids and the dragons had constructed a plan of attack, and now Lyle, Edwin, and Smudge flew by Beatrice's side as they ventured out toward the island fortress for the second time. Below her, she could see the dark shape of Selika's hand-picked mermaid warriors streaking beneath the waves. Tom, Furball, and Carnelian had gone ahead to try to reach the island by stealth, guided by Malvina and Kalima. The mermaids knew of an underwater entrance to the island stronghold, and while everyone was distracted by the battle with the Waladons, Tom, Carnelian, and Furball would sneak into the fortress and create as much chaos and confusion as possible. First, Tom had suggested they leave Furball behind, but Carnelian had laughed. Oh, Tommy, you're so young. Furball is our greatest weapon. You'll see. When Tom had asked how Carnelian and Furball would travel through the water with the mermaids, Carnelian had given him an amused look 
and asked how many underwater traveling bubbles he needed to experience before he remembered one. Beatrice was sure that Carnelian would see to it that they arrived safely at the island fortress. Now, if the rest of them could be so lucky. Salika had gone over the plan with the dragons carefully, but Beatrice didn't understand the sea cucumber army, despite Lyle's enthusiastic descriptions, and she didn't know quite what to expect. And she wasn't relishing the thought of another encounter with these whaladons. She was sick of fighting. She just wanted this to be over. Before long, Edwin spotted the first whaladon. Okay, here we go, here we go, she muttered nervously to herself. You can do this, Edwin. You can do this, just a little battle. More and more whaladons were emerging from the water and unfurling their wings, approaching slowly and steadily. Beatrice nodded to her children, and all four dragons stopped moving forward, holding their positions. Up ahead, Beatrice could see Selika's head break the surface of the water. She met Beatrice's eyes, nodded, then dipped below the water again. Then, just as the hordes of whaladons flew over the spot where Selika and her warriors waited, the rest of the mermaids surfaced. There were about twenty of them, and Beatrice hoped it would be enough. Over their slender shoulders were draped heavy bags, woven from what looked like seaweed. The mermaids, propelling themselves half out of the water with their powerful tails, flexed their arms and wiggled the fingers of their webbed hands. Then, Salika yelled to the mermaids, Now, release the warriors! The mermaids as one reached into the bags they carried, and each one pulled out a short, rubbery, worm-like creature. The dragons watched as the mermaids pulled back their thin arms and with fierce yells hurled these creatures as hard as they could at the approaching whaladons. Beatrice could hear cries of, For the warrior tribe! And, For Lord Saigon! And, For Slog the dragon cucumber! Emerging from the sea cucumbers as they flew through the air. She watched in awe as at least two dozen sea cucumbers were launched, each one connecting powerfully with the bodies of the approaching whaladons. Beatrice readied herself to attack. Despite Salika's confidence, she didn't see how these little creatures were going to take down an entire pack of whaladons. But the sea cucumbers clung steadfastly to the whaladons, and as more and more of the warriors were flung and attached, the added weight began to make it impossible for them to fly. Some whaladons lost their balance immediately and went tumbling dramatically back into the sea, while others just slowly sank back into the water. The Whaladons began to fight back fiercely, clawing at the warriors stuck to their own bodies or shooting fierce jets of water at the sea cucumbers clinging to their neighbors. Over the screeching battle cries of the Whaladons, Beatrice heard one sea cucumber call out in a gruff voice, On my count, chaps! One, two, three, eviscerate! Beatrice watched in fascinated horror as, one by one, each sea cucumber clinging to the body of a whaladon shot what looked like a blob of sticky goo from one of their ends. She honestly couldn't tell one end from another, but Salika had explained that it was their mouth end, though some species, she added, used the other end for this process. Wherever the goo landed, in the whaladon's eyes, on their faces, or their wings, the whaladons reacted immediately, releasing a cry and beginning to flounder. What's happening? yelled Edwin. What did they just do? Lyle explained enthusiastically. Salika told me all about it. They're shooting out their guts. Literally their guts. And their guts are poisonous, like full of all these super powerful toxins and stuff. See, they may be small, but these guys can fight. Oh no, Lyle, does that mean the sea cucumbers are going to die? How can you live without your guts? No, that's what makes them so awesome. They can grow new guts in like two weeks. These guts are like the most amazing secret weapon ever. <laughs> it's like, where's your weapon? Oh, here it is, right here, inside my body. You want some of this? Boom! 
It's called evisceration and it's their superpower. Most sea cucumbers can do it. You know, Edwin. <laughs> I learned all about their ways and traditions while I was there. Edwin rolled her eyes. You were there for like an hour, Lyle. Well, I'm one of them now. I have a warrior name. It's Slog. I don't know. Maybe you've heard it before. The dragons watched as more whaleodons approached, and the mermaids reached again and again into their bags, launching more sea cucumbers through the air, who, with robust war cries, attached themselves to the whaleodons and then released their poisonous innards. Without fail, the whaleodon under attack would start thrashing around and then dive beneath the waves to the sounds of tiny sea cucumber cheers. It was absolutely disgusting, thought Beatrice, and one of the strangest things she had ever seen in her life, but oddly impressive and it was working. Though she was ready to release her fire at any moment, the mermaids and sea cucumbers were keeping the whaleodons at bay. Just as she thought one would reach her and the draglings, a fresh volley of warrior sea cucumbers would take it down. The mermaids seemed to have an endless supply, and the sea cucumbers seemed to be enjoying themselves immensely. It was clear that the whaleodons were starting to become reluctant to approach. They had stopped emerging from the water, and before long, those who remained seemed to consult one another before looking warily at the dragons and the mermaids. Then, one by one, the whaleodons dove below the surface of the ocean, without a single one having reached Beatrice and her draglings. Salika held up her arm, handed her bag of sea cucumbers to a nearby mermaid, and dove beneath the water. A moment later, she surfaced and looked up at the dragons with a grim smile on her face. "'They are gone,' she announced. "'They have been defeated.' Beatrice breathed a sigh of relief as she watched her children cheer and fly in celebratory circles around her. Their way to the fortress was clear. One battle was behind them, she thought, looking toward the island stronghold on the horizon. And another battle was ahead. Hello again. If you are interested in learning more about sea cucumbers and their special skill of evisceration, then we recommend you listen to the Gross Facts About Animals episode on the Cool Facts About Animals podcast. We've left a link to the episode in the show notes along with a great video all about sea cucumbers. To find out what happens next in Fad Pack, please join us for Season 2, Episode 8. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork you'd like to share, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication for us, and she has recently been learning the art of calligraphy. If you are enjoying Fad Pack, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. If you can leave a rating or a review on the device that you're listening from, go for it. We would love that. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means a lot to us and to Petra. You can also join us on Patreon or buy a ticket to one of our live Zoom shows where you'll be the first to hear the new episodes, share your drawings or thoughts about the show, and chat with other listeners. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com slash fadpack. And now we'd like to share some moments from our live show. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We're very excited about this episode in our house because Oliver has learned a lot about sea cucumbers. And so I think Oliver wanted to share a couple things that he knows about sea cucumbers because we actually did our research before this episode. And surprisingly, most of what we portrayed is pretty accurate, right, Oliver? What I know about sea cucumbers is that coral, well, one of the things, coral reef sea cucumbers can actually liquefy their bodies to get into really small places. 
to hide and mm-hmm. yeah and do sea cucumbers really shoot out their guts as a method of attacking yes and what i think i'm not positive but i bet they have to like go somewhere and like go to sleep to like grow back their guts mm-hmm. and I have some names for Lord Saigon, and Mom can bind them. Lord Saigon, Arteranium, Phoenix. Yes, yeah. I asked Oliver what he thought the Sea Cucumber King's name should be, and he said Saigon, or Phoenix, or Arteranium, Arterarium. So we just put them yeah. all together. Also, um, <laughs> thank you, Oliver. Um, <laughs> Warren. It isn't their guts. It's molecular acid. <laughs> made from coral and other things that they fed on. It is not their guts. Well, the uh, research I did said that it was their guts. So it's, maybe maybe wait. the different species might do different things. Wait. We found a really good video that we're going to link when we do the, um, when we release the podcast. It depends on the species of uh, sea cucumber. Listen, sea cucumbers actually do both. They do what Warren said, but they also do their guts. Mm -hmm. And some sea cucumbers might do two, both, and some sea cucumbers might do just one. So Yeah, and also probably their guts are really different than our guts. So I don't think, you know, we obviously couldn't survive that. They have a totally different system than we do. Go ahead, Hank. I made Willadon eggs out of Lego. Oh. Really, any dragon eggs. Cool. Can you hold those up, Hank? Oh, neat. Those are Legos? Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Those are cool. Whaleodon. Oh, wow. Can Is that Whaleodon? Yeah. Yes. Cool. I actually use a Ninjago Lego set. Yeah, we've got some uh, Lego Ninjago fans on this on this call right now. Yeah, yeah I've got a whole bunch of really cool Ninjago sets, including two dragons, who I named um, one of them Killer and one of them Daggertooth. Um, so I made a saddle for the Whaleodon. A saddle. Ooh, that gives me nice. a good idea about Whaleodon riders. Yeah, awesome. like, they could have, like, people who just come on the Whaleodons and maybe, like, help them. Yeah. Like, Mermaids would be great Whaleodon riders because they could go above and below the water. Graceland, did you want to say something? I have some artwork to share. This is a swimming sea cucumber that I drew. Oh, swimming sea cucumber. Yeah, you can see that it's, it looks kind of like the swimming sea cucumber in Lydian's artwork. I kind of copied it after that one. And then yeah. this is a bigger one. Ooh, yes. Look at those eating tentacles. I have a half-finished drawing. It's going to be some stones with water. Oh, that's really pretty. That's really nice. Yeah. What did you use for the color, Ryan? Uh, twistables. Oh, that's what Oliver has been using too. Yeah, they look really, they look like watercolor. That's so pretty. I just wanted to say that I want to say to Hank. Hank, well, I really like how you're doing a lot of stuff with like Legos. I think that's really cool. I think I might do, do something with Legos next time. It's easy for me because I have like 10,000 Legos. I can wow. swim in all my Legos. Basically, my whole house is a Lego room. So I've always, um, but with Talora, I always think of someone in my head um, that's in real life that, like, I know. But, like, I always think about Talora having not a spear but a sword. 
Yeah. I kind of think was thinking about that too. I do that same thing, Hank. Sometimes I picture faces that are familiar to me when I'm listening to a story. I always think it's so interesting to then see an illustration of that character. And usually it doesn't quite match up to what's in your head. Well, next Next episode, I give you a little spoiler. No, don't give the spoiler. It's not a spoiler, really. It's next episode. We'll be we'll be back with Talora, so we'll get to see Talora soon. Thank you very much, everyone. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of advocates for high quality audio content for kids. You can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theatre in Northfield, Vermont. Fad Pack is written and performed by me, Marin Langdon Spillane, and written and created by Dominic, Graceland, and Oliver Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at nathanlee.net. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.